You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Amen. Have a seat, everybody. Welcome to uh, South Bay Church. Great to be together. And uh, I know we have a lot of people out of town uh, with the uh, 4th of July holiday. I hope you had a great time uh, with your family. Hopefully barbecued a little bit. Maybe saw some fireworks. Uh, but it's great to be together and uh, glad that you're here. Uh, we are starting a new series today called Rooted that's uh, based on the book of Ephesians. And so today we're going to be kind of introducing uh, the series and introducing the book and uh, giving you a little bit of background on the book. And uh, so if you could be turning your Bible over to Ephesians and if you need a Bible, we have some at the, uh, the welcome table back there that uh, you can take as a gift if you don't have a Bible. Uh, but uh, be turning over to Ephesians. We're going to be doing our own little uh, study here uh, from the book um, and kind of the background, kind of doing a little bit of an investigative study together uh, as we uh, open in open the, the, the text. Today, uh, the title of the lesson today is Know How Good You Have It. And it's going to help us to uh, kind of change, hopefully elevate our view of our surroundings and of the things that we go to, and it's also going to help us to learn better how to pray for each other, and what we should pray for, what we can learn from the Apostle Paul about how we should pray. Uh, and this this topic overall, this uh, idea of, of rooted, if you turn over to Ephesians 3, uh, and I'll, we'll get, get into the background of the book of Ephesians here in a minute, but this is Paul's heart and his prayer for the Ephesian disciples. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 17. Paul says, uh, actually starting verse 16, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge so you may be fulled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And then it talks about, this is an awesome exclamation of how amazing God is uh, that we'll, we'll get to later in the series. But this is kind of our theme verse uh, for this series, Rooted, and this idea that, that God really designed us not just to survive, but to thrive. God really desires for you to live a life that is spiritually vibrant and growing and fulfilled. And that's Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. He says, what I really hope is that you have this root that's deep and established in love, and then you can, can grasp and know who God is, and that can become this fullness in your life, where you're filled with all the fullness of God. Can you imagine a person being filled with all the fullness of God? He doesn't even explain exactly what that is, but I know what it means is to be vibrant and growing and, and fruitful, and you can tell, wow, that person is filled with the fullness of God. And I like this series. Uh, Dustin uh, Peckman came up with this tagline, the rooted and the idea, and uh, he, he leads the group in the, the north campus of our, of our church, the, the South Bay Church. But I like it because we meet in Botanic Gardens, and so we have a whole lot of 
stuff out there that's rooted. And you know how important that deep root is for those uh, beautiful, beautiful foliage that you see out there. It starts with the root, and then as it's healthy, it grows, and, and it's just beautiful. And that's really the goal is that each one of us could live that kind of Christian life. That's the kind of life that Paul envisions for the Ephesians. So let's get a little bit into the background. Um, turn over to Acts. Keep your finger here and turn over to Acts 19. Uh, so the Apostle Paul, if, you, if you're not familiar, is one of the writers of the New Testament. In fact, he wrote most of the New Testament. And who Paul was, was he was not a, uh, one of Jesus' original 12 apostles. He wasn't one of the original disciples. He was a, a, a Pharisee, and he was a little bit younger probably than, excuse me, the other, uh, the other disciples. We don't know exactly where Jesus, where Paul was during the time of Jesus' ministry. He might have been in Jerusalem. He might have been uh, back up in Tarsus, where he was from. We don't know for sure. But, uh, but Paul was... Uh, early persecutor of the church. So as a member of the Jewish sect, the Pharisees, these are the people who are really intense about uh, their Judaism. And they thought that Jesus was not the Messiah because he wasn't the Messiah that they anticipated or that you, you kind of imagine when you read some of these Old Testament texts, you picture a kingly figure. Uh, Messiah means anointed, the God, the God chose to, to to bring in his new kingdom. So Jesus didn't fit the mold that they had in their minds, and so they, they saw the church as being totally um, off track from God's plan. And so Paul was uh, one of the most intense persecutors of the church, but Jesus himself appeared to him on the road to Damascus, and uh, we hear that story of how he became a Christian in Acts chapter 9. So uh, Paul is repents, he, he, he realizes he was off in his thinking, he surrenders to Jesus, he's baptized uh, for the forgiveness of his sins, and, uh, and then he begins to preach the word. And so he goes off on a, a missionary journey, he feels called by the Spirit to go and, uh, and, and proclaim the good news. And so, whoops, I just exited, can you put me back in? I tried to do the laser and I think I, there you go. Maybe I don't have a laser on this one. We had to switch pointers. Okay, so I'm just going to use a good old-fashioned pointing. Uh, if you can see, man, I really wish I had a laser. What can I use? I'm going to use this. I'll put it back, Jerry. I'll put it back. Okay, so Paul, so here, here's Jerusalem. And uh, all of Jesus' ministry was just right there. Just, uh, he, he was from Galilee, which was up here, and then he, he was in Jerusalem. So Paul becomes a Christian on the road to Damascus. You can see that's there. But where he's from is from Tarsus, which you can't, it's not on this map, but it's, it's, it's farther off. But where he ends up is in Antioch, where is where the first, oh, there's Tarsus. It is on there. Okay, so Tarsus, he's from there. But he ends up in Antioch, which is a, kind of a cosmopolitan city, a lot of non-Jewish people. So this is the first place that non-Jewish people start becoming Christians. Paul ends up being brought there by Barnabas and becomes part of the ministry there. Then he and Barnabas uh, go off on a, on a missionary journey. They go off to, to, to preach the word and plant churches. So they, they would always start by going to the Jews and going to the Jewish synagogue, telling them the good news about Jesus. And then they would always end up uh, reaching some non-Jewish people as well as they kind of stretch out into the, the Roman Empire. So again, the early church is all just right here, but then it's spreading out. Uh, the, the book of Acts has this outline of going from Jerusalem to Judea and Samaria, and then the ends of the earth. So you, we see the gospel being taken to the ends of the earth. 
So this missionary journey, they go and plant churches. They go to Cyprus, and then they go to these cities here and plant churches here. And then they go back to Antioch for a while, a while more. Then uh, Paul decides to go again and strengthen those churches. And who knows where the Holy Spirit might take them besides that. So he takes Silas. So the second missionary journey is Paul and Silas. And they go and they go, they, they go to their, strengthen these churches. They're going to go here, but it says the Holy Spirit kept us from doing that. We don't know what that means. If it was like a force field or just it didn't work out, you know? Probably just it didn't work out. And they end up, Paul ends up having a vision from Macedonia, a man from Macedonia. So this is Greece. And so they end up going over here and, and, and planting churches around here. And what, what always happens in the city is uh, Paul goes to the, the, uh, the Jews. Uh, he goes to the synagogue where, where it, it's customary to have an outside guest speaker. And they, he would come in and, and show them from the Old Testament that Jesus really was the Messiah. And some people would believe, some people wouldn't. And then he was always followed by these people who were persecuting him and, and, and against his message. And so then they would run Paul out of town and he would go to the next city and start a new church and start a new church. The persecution was always kind of driving him forward. Uh, but then he, so he ends up down here in, in Corinth, Athens and Corinth. Now this is very, very Greek. Uh, you know, th there's not much Judaism there. So at, by this point, he's realizing how to reach Greek people. And Paul was uniquely qualified by God to start these churches because uh, he had a Jewish background, Jewish heritage. He was a Pharisee trained in all of all of Judaism knew the, the Old Testament, had it memorized, at least the first five books of the Old Testament memorized. But he also was from Tarsus, which was a, a crossroads of the Greek empire. And so he was very, very custom, uh, customary with, with all of Greek culture and, and Greek philosophy and uh, the, the, the way that the Roman government was set up and all of that. So he was just the perfect person to, to have uh, the role that he played in starting all these churches in the early uh, first century. Um, so anyway, he ends up here in, in Greece, and there's this connection between Corinth and Ephesus. So Ephesus is what I'm getting to. That's what we're studying is the book of Ephesians, which is a letter Paul wrote to the disciples in that city. So Ephesus has a connection with a guy named Apollos. You might have heard of Apollos before. He was another leader in the early church, also a Jew, uh, from Alexandria, which was a, 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 a place of great learning, great instruction uh, in Judaism in the first century. Alexandria is down here. But he is in Ephesus, and we know he makes disciples there, but he doesn't understand fully who Jesus was. He only knew, it says, the baptism of John, John's baptism. So he didn't understand the, the fullness of, of, the, of the Christian message. And he is over... Uh, after he has preached and made some disciples here, he ends up over here in Corinth. And then that's where, uh, 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 that's where Aquila and uh, Priscilla reach out to Apollos and explain the word of God more adequately to him. Now, he and Paul kind of pass each other, maybe, who knows, maybe uh, on the water or something. So while Apollos is over here, Paul ends up over here in Ephesus, and he's talking to these guys. This is in Acts 19. And he says, uh, you know, talking about the Holy Spirit, we're like, they're like, we haven't even heard there is a Holy Spirit. And so he inquires more, and they had learned from Apollos. They didn't understand the fullness of, of, uh, of the Christian message because they'd, they'd become disciples from Apollos. So Paul explains it. That, 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 all of that is interesting and important because I think in our, 
our day t today, there's still all kinds of different teachings and, and different, you know, people can be, they can be sincere believers or sincerely want to follow Jesus, but they don't have an adequate understanding of the scriptures. And it's always good just to get the Bible open and go, what does the Bible really say? And what is the fullness of this teaching? And that's what Paul does. That's what uh, uh, Priscilla and Aquila do with Apollos. And that's where the, the church starts in Ephesus. So then Paul goes back to Antioch and then uh, for, for a time, and then he decides to go back to Ephesus. We don't have all of the, uh, I'm going to stop with this now. Now you know where Ephesus is. I'll put it back, Jerry. Um, we don't have all of the, the, the detail here, but, but he ends up there again in, in, uh, in, in chapter 19. And there's this, and I'm just showing you these chapters so you can investigate this on your own if you want to find out more about the background of the of the the church there in Ephesus. So uh, when Paul is there for the second time, there is, uh, it, it, Ephesus is well known for its uh, practices of sorcery and, uh, and, and a, a lot of uh, um, idolatry. And so uh, what's happening is as people are becoming Christians, they're getting rid of their uh, they're idols, and that's bad for business, right? So there ends up being this huge riot because the people who make the idols are like, these people are ruining our business. And so there's this huge riot in the city of Ephesus, and that's what happens here in, in Acts 19. Uh, and uh, it's, it's a cool story, really interesting story. And then Paul uh, leaves again in Acts 20. Uh, then, a after he goes back up to this area of Troas and kind of up there at the top of this, what's modern-day Turkey, he decides, the Holy Spirit speaks to him and says, you need to go back to Jerusalem, or he feels called to go back to Jerusalem. And so on his way back, he, uh, sorry, I, I said I wasn't going to use this, but I'm going to use it one more time. On his way back to Jerusalem, he, uh, he, he is traveling this, uh, along the, the, the coast, and he has them, uh, no, sorry, he's traveling through the, 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 uh, on the, the modern-day Turkey, and he has the Ephesian elders come down here to Miletus to meet him there, and he has this farewell to the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20. And this is a great text of Scripture to read about uh, Paul and his heart because basically he's just sharing his, how he feels about himself and his ministry and his, his work there in Ephesus. So I would give you that, if, if you aren't studying a lot of other things right now in your quiet times, I would give you that assignment to study this, uh, where it says, Paul's farewell to the Ephesian elders. Study that 13 through uh, the rest of the chapter. So you kind of get the background as we're going to be reading uh, Ephesus of, of what was Paul's relationship like with these people there in Ephesus. And that gives you a, a real good context for this book. So now, years later, we fast forward years later, Paul is in prison, most likely in Rome, and he writes this book to the Ephesians. Now look back in Ephesians. I'm, I'm, I hope I'm not boring you, but I just thought I would love to give you a little bit more of kind of, this is how I like try to investigate these books before I even start reading it, so you just get more out of it. You know, if you know the context and what's behind it, you just get more out of it. So that's why I'm going through this. But uh, So look at the end of Ephesians. You get a lot of things from Paul's letters by some of the comments he makes either at the beginning or the end. And in Ephesians 6, verse 21, it says, Tychicus, the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord, will tell you everything so you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I'm sending him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. 
Peace to the brothers and sisters and love with faith from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. So Paul mentions this guy, Tychicus, who he's sending with the letter. So the letter is being carried by a guy named Tychicus. Now if you look at, look at uh, skip in your Bible, you, we'll come back to Ephesians, but skip over to Colossians and look at the end of Colossians. Chapter 4, verse 7. He says, Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, faithful minister, fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. So he, who is this? The same person, right? Same person that is carrying the letter to the Ephesians. And it's interesting if you look at Ephesians and Colossians, they are very, very similar. They have even 26% of the same wording, and they're laid out in very much the same way. Now, Colossians has some more specific issues Paul addresses, whereas Ephesians is just kind of an overall, this is just an overall great general message to Christians. That's why we're studying it. It's a great overall message to Christians. But there's a lot that's really similar. So, uh, it, you know, some scholars think that, well, one came much later and copied the other. I don't, I don't buy that because they're both mentioned Tychicus. I think Paul wrote both at the same time. And anybody ever written a, a few letters at the same time? And most people don't write letters anymore, but maybe emails. I remember when I was a kid and I would write, you know, my, my mom would say, write letters to your grandparents for whatever. Uh, you know, I would write several letters to different relatives. I would just kind of write the same thing in each one. You know, they don't know, right? <laughs> Write the same thing to grandma and grandpa over here and the same thing to my grandfather over here. You know, you just kind of write. So that's kind of what I think when it comes to Philippians and Colossians. Paul has the same types of things he wants to say that are just general good things that are on his mind at the time. So when you read Ephesians, you read Colossians, you kind of, you can even find parallel verses that almost say the same thing but in a slightly different way. Does that make sense? Now here's the other thing that's super interesting. If you continue reading here, and I, we don't have time to do it, but... Uh, from chapter seven, uh, chapter four, verse seven, through the end, it mentions all these people. Uh, it says Tychicus is coming with Onesimus in verse nine, our faithful and dear brother, who's one of you. So we know Onesimus is from Colossae, uh, and then he mentioned Aristarchus, mentions Mark, Justus, Epaphras, uh, Demas, Luke, Arch Archippus, who's there in Colossae. He mentions all these names. All those exact same names are at the end of the book of Philemon, which is another very, very small book, but it's written by Paul. And the book of Philemon is, and the, the, the reason these are laid out the way they are, you might not know this, but in the New Testament, the letters of Paul are in the order they are. It has nothing to do with chronology. They're in the order of size. So somebody, a long time ago, when they were putting together, collecting all our books, we have the longest books of Paul and the shortest books of Paul. It's like an order of size, like we have people stand by height. That's how the books of Paul are organized. So if you try to look for chronology in them or anything, you're not going to find anything. It's just that Romans is the longest one, you know, and then the next one, you know, and first, so, but Philemon is the, the last one. It's the shortest one. Uh, and, uh, and, and so Philemon was written for this purpose of Onesimus, who was a runaway slave who Paul is sending back with a commendation uh, to his former master. And it's a super interesting uh, little window into the, uh, into the, uh, the world of the first century uh, if you want to uh, study more Philemon. But this is interesting because all these are related. So Paul wrote 
Paul is sending Onesimus and sending Tychicus, and he goes, okay, since you're going to Colossae, here's the letter to Philemon, who is a member of the church in Colossae. Uh, so that would, it's a very personal letter. So it's like if Paul wrote a letter to Jerry Spradlin here, you know, and that, that's the letter of Jerry. Then Paul says, okay, well, since Tychicus is going and Onesimus, I'm going to also write a letter to the whole church. So that would be like the South Bayan, you know, South Bayans or something. So that, that's the letter to all the South Bay church, he sends. That's Colossae. But he's also going to be going through Ephesus. So he goes, I'm going to also write this letter to the Ephesians at the same time. So, and, and he also it, it mentions a letter to the Laodiceans, which we've lost. So he sent these, all these letters together with Tychicus. And somehow the letter to Laodicea we lost. But we have Ephesians, we have Colossians, and we have Philemon. So that's how it all works together. Does that make sense? Why is that important? To me, it's important because it makes the, the world of the first century come alive. These are real people. They have real issues. They have real difficulties in life. They, 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 they are a church family just like we're a church family. And Paul is, is a real church leader. Uh, and it's not, this isn't just kind of imaginary mythical stuff. These are real people and, and, and had, they had their real lives. And so we can learn. They were so close to Jesus and his message. So here, thousands of years later, we want to learn uh, and get back to those roots that they had. Amen? So let's get into today's topic. I know that was a thorough investigation into the background, but I thought it would be helpful. Uh, Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to just read this chapter together. Uh, let's pray, and then we'll read it. God, thank you to be able to open your word and, uh, and dig deeply uh, into what Paul wrote to these brothers and sisters in Ephesus. I pray that we can learn for our lives today uh, based on what uh, Paul wrote to the Ephesians back then, and I pray that you would reach each one of us in some way. God, I pray each person here would be uh, brought closer to you through looking at your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what we're going to do in, the, in this series, each, time, each week we're going to have a different chapter of uh, Ephesians, and somebody different is going to read uh, the, the chapter. But I didn't get any victim for this week, so I'm just going to read it. But uh, if you have someone in mind that you go, oh, I know that person, they're a really good reader, let me know. You know, I know Tom Foster's a good reader. He always reads a different kind of translation, but it's good. Maybe we'll pick Tom. But, you know, if you know a good reader, let me know, because we'll, each week we're going to read a different chapter. So here's Ephesians 1. Read with me. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he's freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ, to be put into effect when the times reached their fulfillment, to bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth and under, and under Christ. In him we also were chosen, 
having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will, in order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ may, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession, to the praise of his glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the Lord, our God, Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. So there's a lot in there. We're just going to look at uh, three things that uh, affect our identity or who we are in Christ and three things that we possess that are based on, on what Paul had to say here. Uh, and, and all this is about understanding how good we have it in Christ. And now, now you might be here, to, here today and you're, you're not a follower of Christ or you haven't decided yet to follow him. And so when you hear this, I don't want you to tune out like, oh, this is just for the Christians. I want you to see this is what God is calling you to. This is what God wants for you. If you haven't yet decided to follow Christ, know how good you could have it, okay? If you do follow Christ, know how good you have it. Um, the idea is to see uh, what you have in Christ with fresh eyes. Um, you ever gone on a trip uh, and then you come back and everything seems fresh in your house. Or you kind of see everything differently. It might be good. It might be bad. You might be like, oh, wow, I didn't realize that looked so bad. I just got used to it. But uh, G.K. Chesterton, who has a lot of interesting quotes, he said, The whole object of travel is not to set foot on foreign land. It is at last to set foot in one's own country as a foreign land. The idea, you know, when you travel, then, then it makes you realize sometimes how good you have it. Anybody that's ever gone to another country, you realize, wow, we are so blessed to get to live in America. And when you go other places and you're complaining about the weather, you realize, wow, we have it so good. You know, living in Southern California, uh, I should not complain when it gets 80, you know. Um, we have it so good. And uh, that's the idea of, of seeing things with fresh eyes of how amazing the blessings are we have. So three things about our identity. He says that we've been chosen by God, the Father, We've been redeemed by Jesus the Son, and we've been sealed by the Holy Spirit. This is in that first half of chapter 1. He kind of goes through the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. He says we've been chosen. We've been, God has predestined us. He already had a plan. It feels so good to be chosen, doesn't it? Have you ever been picked for something special? You feel so, uh, it's such a great feeling. Uh, we had uh, Dessa's brother and her... Uh, Dessa's brother, his wife, and daughter were with us uh, for a few days this week. And uh, my, my niece, uh, Morgan, was 
was, was uh, telling us that she used to, uh, her, in her school, uh, there was a soccer player that was an amazing soccer player named Mallory Pugh. And you might know Mallory Pugh is the youngest soccer player on the U.S. team. And she got to play a little bit in the, in the World Cup. Uh, but, you know, the, you know, Morgan was saying, yeah, we knew Mallory was really good at soccer, but wow, then she was chosen for the U.S. team. This is the best team in the world. Wh what an amazing feeling to be Mallory Pugh, you know, and be 20 years old or 21 years old or whatever she is and, and be chosen for that team. That, that's, that's what Paul's trying to get them to say, is, feel, is that you've been chosen for something special. Out of all the people on earth, you have been chosen. Uh, God, why does God do that? Is that he loves us more than other people or he thinks we're so awesome? No, the, the, the principle of, of, uh, of being chosen throughout the, the Bible is that God chooses a few so that he can bless the greater of everybody. We are blessed to be a blessing. God has chosen us so he can use us to bless more people. But, it's, it, but it feels awesome to be chosen. And by the way, don't tell me anything about the game if you've already seen it. Because I was here setting up, so please don't say, or to Rachel, don't say anything. We, we are taping it. We're going to watch it when we get home. Um, so we've been chosen. We've been redeemed uh, by Jesus. We are the, the, he says, you've received the forgiveness of your sins. And I think that's another thing that we can take for granted. We, uh, all of us, go astray, Paul says. We all end up forming a wall between us and God because of our sin. We all end up in the darkness. Uh, we all choose this path that takes us away from God, and, and we could never get back to God no matter how hard we try, no matter what we do. We could never, you know, I, I, we were talking to a couple that was trying to deal with their finances um, a few months ago, and, and they are, have a lot of debt, uh, a lot of student loan debt. They have over $100,000 in student loan debt, and they just feel like, man, I can never, it, it's going to take us years and years to try to get through all this student loan debt. It, I feel so bad for them, you know, like, oh, I, you know, it's, it's such a hard place to be. Can you imagine if, if it wasn't over $100,000, but it was over a million dollars? You know, it, it would be like, what's the point? I could never, ever repay it. That's, that's the way we are with our sin, that we could never get back to God. We could never have our, we could never earn our salvation. But it's as if somebody just tells this couple, you know what? All that student loan debt, it's just gone instantly. Boom, you know, a million dollars, it's gone. That's what Jesus' blood does for us forgives us of our sin and it's a continual fountain of forgiveness that we can we can face death confidently we can approach God with uh with confidence and grace we can have a one-on-one -on -one relationship with God because we've been redeemed because our sins have been wiped out it's such an incredible incredible blessing and the third thing is he says you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit remember the Ephesians didn't at first understand the Spirit and Paul had to explain the Spirit to them and he says what the Spirit is, is the Spirit is God putting his seal of ownership on you. God saying, they belong to me. And it, it, Paul says the Holy Spirit living in us is a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. Um, you ever go to Starbucks and, the, and it's super busy and you see, oh, there's a seat right there. And you kind of put your stuff there and save it while you wait in line. Is that just me? You know, I, I work at Starbucks a lot. So the one by my house is really busy. And it's like, oh, I'm going to grab it. And you put your stuff there and you save it. And then it doesn't matter how long the line is because you know you have that seat waiting for you. Um, you know, that, that's kind of what it, what it means to have God's seal on us. We're in this waiting period for the new kingdom, for, for the fulfillment of all of God's promises. But, but it's, this, it's a deposit. We're guaranteed. You know, we, we, we are, Paul, uh, God has put his seal on us, Paul is saying. 
And, and he says, they are mine. Nobody else can take them because they're mine. That seal is on them of ownership. Those are, those are things about our identity that we've been chosen, we've been redeemed, we've been sealed. Nothing can take away that identity. Your difficulties, your obstacles, your challenges. And these things are not about what we do, are they? They're not about what we have. But they're about who we are in Christ. We can always appreciate being chosen, being redeemed, and being sealed. I think the problem is that we don't think about these things enough. We don't focus on these things enough. We focus on what we don't have, or we focus on the obstacles or the challenges in our lives instead of uh, of daily reflecting on these things. So I want to give you that challenge to, to thank God for these three things every day this week. If you are a believer and you've been chosen and redeemed and sealed, I, just practically go, thank you, God, I am chosen. Thank you, God, that I'm redeemed. Thank you, God, that I'm sealed. Not because of who I am, but because of who, who you are. And I want you to practically thank God for those three things the, this week. And then three things in Paul's prayer that he, he, he prays that we would understand that we can possess or that we have access to. And this is from uh, verse 15 through the end. He says, I pray that your eyes can be open to this amazing hope that you have. The hope that we've been called to. We've been called to this hope. Like we're, we're here today because we are, we're, we're rallying around this hope that Jesus is coming back, that, that death will be defeated, that God will win in the end. We have this incredible hope that everything is worth it, that every sacrifice is worth it, that heaven is worth it. Uh, we've been called this amazing, amazing hope that we're looking forward to. Uh, the riches of our, his glorious inheritance in the saints, it says... Paul there is, is tying us into the inheritance that's promised in the Old Testament to God's people. That I'm going to bless you and I'm going to be with you and you will be my people and I will be your God and I will wipe every tear from your eye and I will be among you. And this inheritance, this amazing, bountiful blessing uh, of riches that we have to look forward to. The way that uh, Jesus often described it was like a banquet, a king giving a banquet and we've been invited. That's what we have to look forward to, the riches of our inglorious inheritance. How, uh, can you imagine if, if you, know, you were set up to, to go to this incredible, it's like the, picture the richest person you know, and they're having you over, and they, they, they're ordering the best, best food from the best, best place. Picture your favorite, favorite restaurant. They're catering that, and they have this huge spread. You know, and, and, but, but you go, you know, you're supposed to be over there at six, but you're getting a little hungry, and it's about four, and you find some Taco Bell from lunch that's cold now. Uh, but, you know, and you're hungry, so you go, well, you know what, I'm just going to eat that instead. I'm going to eat the cold Taco Bell. You know, no, you would never do that. You're like, no, I'm saving, for the, I'm saving space in my tummy because I want to go to this amazing banquet. But that's what we do sometimes spiritually. We, we settle for less. We settle for, for, for the, the short fulfillment and in, in we look for fulfillment in these other things that don't really fill us up. They're not the banquet God has designed for us. And lastly, he says power for us who believe. He says this power is like, the, it's the same power that raised Jesus for the dead and it's available to every believer. That power that raised Jesus from the dead is available to every believer. Um, you know, that, that, that's amazing that we, we don't tap into that power enough, that we don't pray more. You know, when you think about that power that's available, and yet we try to handle it all ourselves, or we try to do it on our own. The fact is that you are never enough. And so you feel pressure. When you try to do everything yourself, you feel pressure 
from expectations, your own expectations, the expectations of others, the demands of life. You feel like, I can't ever do enough. I'm not enough. Yeah, you're not enough. But we worship a God who is more than enough. We worship a God who can do anything and has all power. But will we tap into that power? Will we trust in that power? Will we rely on that power? What's so cool about God is you give God your little bit and then he makes it more than enough. He multiplies whatever we give to him. Anything you invest in God, he just, he does amazing things with it. And then it's more like you're just watching God work because you've given him what you had. Uh, that power is available to all of us. You know, all of us who believe that power is available to us. That's Paul's prayer. And it's interesting, Paul, what he doesn't pray. Paul says, I pray, here, here's what I keep praying in verse 15. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faithful love, and Jesus, I've not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering in your prayers. I keep asking. Here's what he keeps asking. He doesn't ask, I, God, please take the persecution away. He doesn't say, God, please, you know, let their suffering end, or, or, or God, please change these difficult circumstances. What does he pray? That their eyes can be open to God and who he is and how he's working. Isn't that interesting? Imagine if Paul was your church leader and you ask him to pray for you. Maybe you're going through a difficult time uh, in your marriage. Maybe you're going through a difficult time on your job. Maybe you're suffering with an illness. Uh, maybe you've had a big, tremendous financial loss. Uh, maybe you just lost your job, you know, or, or, or maybe, I don't know what, you know, you, but you're dealing with these things. You say, Paul, please pray for me. And, and you, you sit there and you pray together and he prays, I pray that you would open this person's eyes to you at work, God. And he doesn't pray at all about the circumstances. That's effectively what Paul is doing. Why? Because God, God is bigger than even our circumstances. And so Paul's biggest prayer is just that we can see him and trust him and, and, and tap into his power. Amen? And it's the same thing Paul says at the end, uh, uh, you know, when he asks them to pray for him. Uh, look, look over in, uh, in Ephesians 6. 18, I pr and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so I will be fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. You know, he doesn't say pray that I'll get let out of prison. Or he doesn't say, you know, but, but he says pray that I can see God working and I can be a part of what, what God's doing in my life and in this ministry here where I'm in chains. Um, you know, and, I, and I'm not saying you shouldn't pray about your circumstances. I think you should, and we see that in, in the Psalms. God says pray about whatever you want to pray about. But I think we see some insight into Paul's heart of, of what the answer is to being really rooted is to know how good we have it. Uh, the thing is, is that Satan tries to take these things from us. Satan knows that, uh, you know, he works the same way he did all the way back in the Garden of Eden, where he's telling, uh, he, he's, he's trying to, 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 to twist what God had said to Adam and Eve. And he tries to get them, instead of focusing on how amazing it is, here they are in paradise, literally, He's like, wait, did God say you can't eat any of this stuff? Oh, no, God didn't say we couldn't eat any of it. He just said we couldn't eat this one tree. Oh, well, God knows that you're going to be like him. And so he's trying to keep that from you. You know, that's how Satan worked back then. That's still how Satan works today. Uh, God is trying to keep something from you. God is, it, wants you to miss out. If you follow him, you're not going to have this. You're not going to have that. You're not going to be fulfilled. You're not going to be able to, to enjoy what these people are enjoying. You know, God is trying to keep something from you. God is not good, and it's not good to be near God. That's what Satan is still trying to tell us today. 
And so it's so good to dig into the scriptures and be reminded how good God is and how good it is to be with God. Amen? Uh, before we take communion, we're going to hear a personal story of how God has worked in someone's life. And so Tian Lee has bravely offered to share her story of, of God being good and working in her life. And then I'll come back up and we'll pray for communion. Elaine's going to introduce her. I didn't know um, Brian was going to be in Ephesians, but that's what I had in mind, thinking of Tian Lee, the power that she has from studying the Bible, from learning to be a disciple and remaining a lifelong learner of his word. What an inspiring friend she is to me and how um, close she stays to God in all of her life. Good morning, church. Um, my, I'm short. <laughs> yeah. Uh, my name is Tianli Richardson. I was born and grew up in China, a country of no non-believers. I had a loving and a harmonious uh, family, but when I stepped out of my home, I was afraid and uh, scared. My father was often put into jail because of politics. I seldom saw my father. I didn't have friends growing up because of my father. <coughs> Worked as military officer for the old government. I lived in my shell in my own ward. I felt isolated from the world. The people, including the children around me, had no sympathy or love for anyone. <clears throat> Only hatred motivated by the politics of China. I didn't believe there was true love between people outside my family. I often prayed for the love, but I didn't know whom I should pray or who the living God was. The people were not allowed to believe in God or <clears throat> allowed to even talk about God. The slogan during that time was, fight with God, fight with the world, and fight with the people. I totally lived in a world of darkness. I can remember that my first time even hearing about the Bible was when I went to college. When I was in college, I majored in English literature Words from the Bible were often mentioned in the novels I read. When reading the Word of God that was in the novels, I felt the words were so beautiful and sweet and that I needed to know more about God. My teacher was an American. He was able to explain to us about the Bible. <clears throat> the school gave him a warning that he was not allowed to teach or mention the Bible. After graduating from the college, I was assigned by the government to work for a coal mine. It was an American-China joint venture. One of my co-workers, David Lanford, was an engineer. Who, he looked no other person I had ever seen before. He read the Bible every day when, I, when we had our lunch break. I was curious as he read Galatians 5.22 to me. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
uh, how beautiful and sweet these words are. It describes a totally different world from the one I was living in. I thought to myself, shouldn't everybody be like this? He gave his Bible to me before he left China to go back to America. This was my first Bible. I tried my best to read it, but found it very hard to understand. In 1996, I went to Germany to further my education. A friend of mine there took me to church. This was my first time in my life that I ever went to church. It was mystery and sacred. I was so touched by the music that I cried and I cried as I felt my heart being touched by the Holy Spirit. They told me that is indeed was the Holy Spirit touching by touching my heart. I didn't know what the Holy Spirit was. I often went to church. It made me feel safe just being there. In 1997, I was baptized, but I was not changed at all. I was still the same old me. I didn't think I was sinful, so I felt that I didn't need to repent. I thought because I never broke the law or hurt anyone, that I was a good Christian. I didn't even know the mission as a Christian that I was responsible for carrying out. I thought the church was just a religious ceremonial ritual. In 2008, my husband met Marco. He invited us to go to church. I felt different right from the start. I liked this church immediately. Karen Plymel and the Lena Chow invited me to have Bible study. They are amazing sisters, and it seemed like the studies went smoothly. Then at the end of studies, they asked me to be baptized. I told them I didn't need to be baptized because I was already a Christian. I argued with them that I didn't need to be baptized again. I was mad and prideful. How dare they say that I'm not a Christian? I started resenting my husband and started being mean to him. Sometimes he's mean to me too. <laughs> In 2010, Ken Chow sent me to Vietnam and Cambodia that began as a business trip. He arranged for me meet the disciples there. They took very good care of me and was able to attend both of our churches there. I was touched by their enthusiasm and kindness and faithful, faithfulness to God. When I came back home, Karen, Kathy Blanco, and Elaine Johnson started Bible studies with me again. I was serious this time and every word from God cut to and softened my heart. I knew that I was sinful and kneeled down to repent to the God. I remember my last study was with Karen, Kathy, Elaine, and Jackie Maruchi, who are very amazing sisters. They are patient with me and always encouraging. They never gave up on, they never gave up on me and stood by me. They are loving, caring, uh, humble, and faithfulness moved me. 
they continually to this <clears throat> to this very day a great examples as what a disciple looks like. They showed me Jesus' love and that he is a light. I'm really thankful for their help. On August 22, uh, 2010, I was baptized and my life was transformed and continued to be transformed ever since that moment. Yeah, my husband always asked me, why did you wait for two years? <laughs> Wasted your two years. And, yeah, that's true. <laughs> I am a new me creation, Second Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new cre creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Some brothers and sisters asked me how I felt after being baptized. I said that I felt like a bride. Amen. I am his. I'll commit to my marriage with him. I'll take good care of my marriage with him. I will obey him and surrender to him. I now understand my commission. Matthew 28:19 to 20. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations baptize them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In 2011, I had a Bible study with my mom, who was over 80 years old at the time, and she was baptized in China that same year. In 2012, Clyde, one of my students from China, was baptized in our church. Cool. It is God who chose me from the beginning. He never gave me up. John 15, 16 to 17. He did not choose me, but he, I chose you and appoint, appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. This is my heart's journey. I know the journey is long and not easy. I'm still learning. I'm willing to be God's vessel and let him use me. First Timothy 6.12, fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. My hope is um, I just want to be just, just like Paul said when I say Jesus someday, 2 Timothy 4, 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept my faith. That's, that's all. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.